Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Story Studio. Um, as usually happens in the pre-recording broadcasting, we had a discussion going, and then Sean goes, just wait, wait, just start recording, because yeah, yeah, start. then we get credit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so we were talking about Darren Aronofsky's movie Mother, which I think might be the only Darren Aronofsky movie I've not seen, um, and I've heard it's pretty bad, but... Uh, but but I don't I don't think it's bad in definition number one as in it's a bad film. I think it's bad as in dark. You won't be able to tolerate the ending, sort of a thing, which um, which I we won't spoil. So what what's I don't even know the premise of the movie. What's the premise of the movie? Dave, is, can you do the premise on spoilery? It, it is about um, I'm trying to remember about a wife and husband that moved to a new place and she's about to give birth and these people show up and weird shit happens. Um, it's a very, I want to say something, but I don't know if it's, it's I feel like it's, a, and it's allegorical, right? Yes. The that's, whole movie, that's it. All yeah, of yes. this stuff is allegorical, but this is this really is allegorical, heavily allegorical. And that kind of spoils it. If you take it quite literally as more allegorical than Noah, <laughs> maybe noah's wow. just on the nose yes yes actually yes <laughs> right because uh, no Noah's not an allegory it's just Noah. It, it it is one of those art films that you either see as brilliant or pretentious as fuck or both uh like the fountain won- no the fountain was fucking lovely it was a beautiful oh, that, movie oh, that made me weak oh, i agree but it's you're gonna tell you're really gonna no. say it's not it's not pretentious. It oh, has dude. it has high ideas, but it doesn't. It's still, I to me, pretentious is when somebody is showing off for the sake of showing off, and they don't deliver a good experience. The fountain okay, was a beautiful fair. experience. Okay, that's pretentious fair. is somebody trying to be like the smartest person in the room, but what they're saying or what they're doing does not affect you in any way whatsoever. So birdemic. Fuck you. Okay, but, but <laughs> yeah, you, re- you refer to you refer upstream to- color. <laughs> okay, upstream color is pretentious. There's no way around that. But, but you've you pretty much um, uh, you've called Tarantino um, uh, pretentious. pretentious. Do you stand by what? that. Uh, I, I just kind of do it to bust your balls. I don't. This is enjoy the part where I wonder if like I should do. have said what the show was about, knowing how big this diversion was going to be. <laughs> Yeah, okay. No. We'll, we'll we'll take a stop. So so wait, just yay or nay on mother. Should I watch it or not? I haven't seen it. You should both watch it just to have watched it and talk about it. Okay, I'm assuming this but, is not a movie that Johnny would watch with Robin. No, I'm, no. I'm very no, much you gathering. You should watch that. it with anyone. Maybe both of you should watch it together. Yeah, maybe. And then have a a, a crying moment together. <laughs> it, 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 it just doesn't sound like a fun experience. And and it's I'm not. I'm not the Darren Aronofsky fan that that Sean is, or I don't, Dave. I don't know if you are. Like I, they're they're interesting, but I don't like think he's this amazing but like, as far as the entertainment value so i don't even know that i'm like dying to see it no i i how did you uh, like where i'm from it, it was it was good but it what i think it had been built up so much that it i was expecting it to be like amazing and it was just like well it was, that was interesting it was good <laughs> requiem impressed the hell out of me yeah i loved requiem i haven't um, seen it in a long time though i don't think i've seen it since i had children i think that would probably <laughs> you should let them see it so they never ever 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 do drugs <laughs> um well actually Haley and i will watch it this summer that's on our list sue me. is asking what's the target do you think that that's a second attempt to get us on <laughs> or, or, or no maybe all right so yeah what's our target all right well we were talking about um we d- 
depending on when you're listening to this, either are just about to release or just released a book called Story Solution, which is the first of what used to be called the Smarter Artist line in a really long time. It's now called Stone Table, um, which is the nonfiction books that we do. And the reason we changed it, and this is, I'll just, you guys already know this, a lot of you, but it was strictly, Smarter Artist was writing craft, writing publishing like it was it was very how-to for writers specifically and stone table is a little bit more global it's it's like it's about storytelling but also just big big ideas big issues um a tagline that we were toying with i don't know if we like it is like what ideas that need to be shared or something like that um so this is this is the first one it's not really it's not a big big idea book but it is in the vein of the new stone table and it is our first true our new first new nonfiction book in how long? It's been quite a while. A long time, it's yeah, been like three or four time. years. Um, it's, it's called the story. It's called the story solution. And um, the idea of the story solution is it, it's kind of it's a book for writers, but also a book not for writers and people that just like and understand and want to know more about story because it's about seeing um, life through the lens of story, and then conversely, you could reverse engineer it and see story through the lens of life. Um, in other words. Um, a lot because it's i wrote this and there's a story to this which i can go in if you guys prompt me if you want to um i wrote it at a time where i was just kind of in a weird place and um for me it ended up being very much about purpose and meaning um because i think that those are the things that you need to get through yeah i think the origin story of this is actually totally worth um talking about uh so this is nothing like the book that we were originally intending to write i actually think twice i actually think there was an original time and then you gave me an outline and that was the second outline. And I think I then was like, dude, I can't use the outline. Yeah. And so that outline, I think that we will actually revisit as another book that we'll write within the next year or so. Um, but, but this book just took a right turn almost immediately. And it happened because um, Johnny had come back from, this is a year ago, actually, like right now, isn't it? Is that about right? Yeah, because it was after, I had just taken a vacation, and I don't know if you guys have experienced this, but there's a weird thing that can happen on vacation. Sean, I know you've told a few stories about it. Um, I think right before yesterday's gone, you had- Everything will go wrong? (laughs) Well, typically, it is fun to see vacation through the lens of what if Dave were here? What would Dave do? It's usually what I'm thinking at all times on vacation. Um, Those should be bracelets. I don't know why they're not. They should get on whatever yeah, Etsy and start making. When we get in the merch game, we'll definitely have a, a what would Dave do. So when you um, sometimes when you come back from a vacation, it's like you you pulled away from what you were in day to day from either life or a relationship or or business or work, and you then see it with new a new new eyes because you know you're like no matter whether things are good whether they're bad whether they're sideways whether whatever you just kind of get in the habit of just you're you're doing it you're getting through you're chugging through your to-do list and then vacation lets you pull away and you're totally out of it and you're in a new place and then you come back and so you see it with fresh eyes and that's sort of what happened and it happened at the time when we were actually transitioning a lot from well it wasn't transition it was a consolidation can you describe where the business was and hence where my mind was doing this yeah so we had already decided okay we're we're closing a bunch of stuff we're kind of migrating out um we were definitely going full time story studio um and johnny went on vacation and came back and was like yeah i don't know what my role is going to be because i stepped away and well it was a little bit of the business was in transition and it, it was, some of it was my role, but some of it was like, 
I have a real, so actually we, we've run into this a few times. Like I like to, from the big picture, why are we doing this? From the biggest, biggest picture, I need to know why we're doing something. And we were at a point with Sterling and Stone at the time where we were doing a lot of stuff because like a lot of things were begun because they were possibilities. This was, um, not to shit on Sean, but this was the, the end of the hangover of the blinds in Manila days when if something had potential, we would sometimes do it even if it wasn't aligned. And so we we were closing down yeah, a lot of those boxes. for as much as we were beating the drum for everybody about know your why, know your why, we weren't really sticking to our why. So the business was um, was all over the place and without going into too, too much depth – um, we weren't that far from the day when I couldn't success- satisfactorily make an organization chart for the company because I didn't it, – it, there was no coherent theme. It was like, well, we're doing this and we're doing this and how are those related? Well, they're not. And so – Remember that time Danny asked you to write the, the org chart and it was like you couldn't get any answers right because we had people instead of positions and it just was like, no, 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 no. You guys are all like a package. Yeah, and Danny has a particular way of scolding you about business where it's not really <laughs> scolding. It's just – he doesn't say that you're an idiot, but that's clearly in the background. It's the indication. Right? Like right. it's back there. So um, so, so anyway, the, the point was that as for the company as a whole, not just my position, but for the company as a whole too, at least in my mind, I couldn't really say what it was about. Like why were we doing this? What was the, what was the single unifying thing behind Sterling and Stone? Were we trying to teach artists? Were we trying to tell stories? Were we trying to sell services? Were we, you know, were we building an online platform for education? And so – but we we were we were already transitioning a lot away, and so um, I the just the decisions kinda, had yeah. been made, but the actions hadn't. We hadn't fully gotten through it. Um, that's part of it, um, and there certainly was no aftermath. So now we've already gone through it, um, and we're on the other side of it now. So there's still aftermath to deal with. There's still transition. There's still stuff to figure out. But it's not like this thing that's in front of us that we're still having to figure out. It's something that we are we have gone through and are going through and are adapting. Um, but back then it was just like, uh, it was like knowing you made a big life decision, but it was still in front of you. Okay. We're closing this department. We're going to be all story. And as exciting as that is to say, okay, we're going to be all story. There's a little bit of existential. Well, then what the fuck was the last three years for? <laughs> right. Right. And, and so having a transition around that, just the story solution became a, a much different book. Right. So so from my perspective, I, I if I don't have like a single locus to say this is the this is the center and I'm doing a lot of stuff, but it, I need to keep mentally training myself to this is why I'm doing it. This is the major purpose for me on the micro level and for the company on a macro level. And so it was at this point that I started writing the story solution, which was originally going to be like a who moved my cheese or all that's a parable, but, but you know, like a small business book that could have applied to everybody. It was about, it was going to be about like story branding. Basically it would have been story brand if, um, uh, what's his name hadn't already done that, something like that. And I was like, no, this is not where my headspace is. And it ended up being this, um, this, this thing of like, because it was, I was searching for meaning and purpose. Cause I think that a lot of times today we live, largely vacuous lives, if I may make a sweeping generalization over in the West, at least, where it's like, boy, we got a lot to do. You know, we're checking in on our social media feeds and crossing off a lot of notifications and doing a lot of stuff and going through our our day. But what the hell is the point? And you get to the point where you go, okay, so why am I doing any of this? What's the meaning? Or am I just recycling yesterday? And I think- me every morning I wake up. (laughs) Well, 
funny you should mention that, Dave. Maybe we could show you some of this that we did in yeah, the story. Dave, Dave, actually, this is a serious question. Do you feel like right now your life has more meaning than it did, say, a year ago? Yes. Can you? Okay, and but what, you answered that so definitively. In what way? What is the what is the meaning? What's changed? Um, I think a year ago, I didn't know why I was doing what I was doing. Do you mean um, negatively or positively? Or everything, both? Everything. Everything. Okay. <laughs> um, I, I was... I was showing up to work, but I was sort of lost and mentally lost and just in a dark place. Like I kind of, uh, I've been doing what I was doing for so long, but I don't know, forgot why. Oh, I, I love that you're stumbling on this because something for sure that I've seen, I've noticed in the last few months from you is a joy in the work. <laughs> like you're actually, you're not just because you can. Well, let's out. not get carried away. Joy is a very big word. It, it is. A big yeah, word. Dave, you would know the whole story of what's going on with you and what Sean thought about it. They're in these story meetings for this company. That's well, I don't know what company. <laughs> right, Dave's a regular character in the meetings. He just doesn't know. But but yeah, it's it's true because um, there's there's a. Dave can pound out a story, even if he hates himself through it. He can he can deliver the word. Can we publish Dave pounds it out? <laughs> That's a good idea. <laughs> He's usually on a cross at those points, though, and it's just like, okay, dude. So you're telling me this was the most miserable experience of your life? I already knew that because of the way it reads, <laughs> right? <laughs> We're like now he's passing something off, and there's like. There's, I don't want to say a whimsy because that's a little bit like joy. He's totally like Willy Wonka. Yeah, but a lot of dead people in this one. There's a, there's a, follow me to the crypt. (laughs) There's a short story I read of Dave's um, maybe three weeks ago, and it was just the breeziest edit. And it was, it it wasn't even that it, like, I appreciated when you were editing it. Did you say, I'm breezy? I'm breezy. I did. Um, I was just so um, I was so grateful at seeing how much uh, Dave had changed because I get that a lot on the phone and in Slack. Like he's checking in every morning ish. And <laughs> does he does he does he text you and say good morning? Uh, no, no, but it is in Slack, and it is like it, it's funny because sometimes it's not it's not there yet, and I'm ready to turn off Slack and get to working, and I'm waiting. Like, okay, <laughs> I just want to see him. Like, what's gonna he gonna do? Text you hi. You gotta wait for that shit. So I've seen this elevation in his in his mood, but to see it match with 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 his work, and I don't mean deadlines. That's not actually what I mean. It goes deeper than that. Thank God. <laughs> it goes with the uh, you know the actual storytelling and the voice that I see. There's less timidity. There's more ownership of the story and the characters and. I don't know. It's more like the Dave that I had uh, 10 years ago where he was hungry and excited and dreaming a little bit. I see Dave willing to dream a little bit more, which, you know, is is kind of funny because our entire company is made up of dreamers. <laughs> like that's 
what we do. My, my dreams have become nightmares. <laughs> no, I've noticed that over time. And Dave usually sits the dreaming out. He's like, I don't need to be there with all the dreamers, <laughs> which is like what, what we're what we're enjoying. But he's still getting the benefit of that support in the background because it's it's showing up. So yeah, uh, on, on with the show. Well, during summer is a rough time because if I want to get work done, I basically got to do it at night. I can't work during the day with family home. It's just <laughs> yeah. Is family like so? Is family the thing that does not make you feel like you have more meaning? <laughs> <laughs> Ask me when summer's over. <laughs> um, okay, so do you, do you want to talk about more of the um, like the general structure of kind of because? Well, I mean, the this- point is to find. Okay, so so uh, I feel like I should be able to put my finger on a real clever anecdote here, but. You know, it's the sort of thing that's said and I can't I can't get a neat little bumper sticker, but but real life, you know, real life doesn't have meaning. Stories have meaning like that's usually the kind of the way that we look at it. It's like, well, um, look at how neatly that tied up for Meyer Dempsey, you know, or something like that. Like you you they have an arc. They have this neat little thing like we focus on them. We see the important pieces of their lives and 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 real life, by contrast, can feel like it's just you, you do a string of things and you're born and you do things and oh. then you die. How about stories of filter through which you see your life? Right, and that's that's kind of the whole point of the book, is I think that that at a time when I was trying to find purpose and meaning and feeling like, now I didn't feel like existential angst or, you know, oh, life is meaningless or anything like that. This is a very minor thing, but at the same time, the um, world as, as a whole, I think we are in a little bit more of a vacuous time where it is hard to find meaning. And so that is the attempt to to bring a story's worth of meaning to the events in your life if you think of yourself as the protagonist and the events of life as plot twists. So I think you can go either way on this. Writers can learn from the way that life applies to story and vice versa. Yeah, I, I like it because it is a little bit out of the the, the writer camp. Um, I think that this book is helpful to everyone. And we did a little, um, a little in-person thing last October, I want to say. Um, and we had, we had a, just a group of people who were all five of them. Was it five or six? Something like that. Yeah. Um, th- they were all entrepreneurs and not storytellers, but we were using this exact framework. You know, Johnny had the book done and we were using this framework to um, kind of reshape their, their life and their business. And we did a little, uh, another little one right after the summit um, in, a, in a small room of, of people too. And those were all actual authors. And so you could see that there's this, <clears throat> there's a, there's a common framework there where it really is just story using that as kind of a key to unlock understanding. And once you understand something, it's just really easy to break everything else up. So maybe, maybe it does make sense to, to sort of, you know, take a look at some of the the components of this, right? So the actual nitty gritty of like, how would you, how would you consider, how would you shape a, a story's meaning around around real life, right? So, um, the I mean, I think the number one thing is just understanding that. Um, so we talked about we've talked about genre therapy a few times on this show, and I think that I think that that's one of the major things that in genre therapy, if you haven't heard about this before, the idea is that in our experience, a lot of the writers, um, a lot of the writers we've worked with or met are working in the wrong genre because they, they got into something because it was hot or because they thought it would work for them, but it, it, it isn't maybe as well as it could. 
And so there's this process that we have called genre therapy, which I'm realizing probably needs a new name because it sounds very confusing. You don't automatically know what genre therapy is, but that's what it is for the writers to kind of like through a therapeutic means and a Q&A sort of thing, um, determine what maybe is the right uh, genre for you. And the people who've gone through this, we did a few with Clocking Out. They just, I mean, has anyone not just loved it that you've seen Sean and been like, Oh my no, God, this is so illustrious. No, it's, it's the weird thing that a hundred percent. One of weird trick. So it is the one weird trick. A hundred percent of participants so far have walked away with something from genre therapy that was like, um, either a key insight, uh, a key directional shift, you know, something like that. I, I do think it's one of the biggest things that we kind of unearthed in 2018. So the point of genre therapy for writers is obviously to to hone in on like what you really should be doing, but framing it for the story solution was like a lot of people don't really know what they're going after uh, in life. You may be following goals that your parents set for you or that that society expectations to be a little grandiose about it. And so that's one of the first things was kind of really getting clear on what it is that you should be going after. I'm unsure how to go, how granular we should go on this, Sean. What's your gut feel on this? Because there's a lot to it, and it's not like we're doing a master course on it. We just kind of want to. Yeah, talk no, I would, it. I would keep it, I would keep it simple. I would just like I'm serious about using Dave as kind of like. A, well, why don't we? Uh, why don't we begin with that then? Why don't we? All right, so let's let's actually talk genre therapy. Lie in the psychiatrist couch. I, I think you, I think you should. <laughs> so if we're um um uh, if, if we're talking genre, like what is your genre? So in the book, we don't. You know, it's not mystery or thriller or sci-fi or anything like that. It's more like, you know, a husband with kids, um, you know, a family man, uh, artist, you know, like to me, your genre would be like tortured artist. That's what fits you. Like, I'm not even like, it sounds like I'm joking, but I'm actually not like you. That That is kind of your genre. I'm right? picturing like, the tortured artist shelf at Barnes and Noble. <laughs> don't don't you feel like um you fit neatly into that yes uh, i think most of my art comes through suffering okay so here's a really good example going back to like the first t- times i knew you you realized that it was like a few years before i knew that that would be the genre you would fit into even <laughs> though we talked all the time right yes because- you you see the world through very uh <laughs> Different colored glasses. <laughs> no, no, it wasn't that. It's that you weren't clear on your story. So okay. you were you were writing for Blogger Dad, uh, which was yeah. very much not a tortured artist type of site. Well, at all. I have two sides to me. I have the the humorous, loving side, then I have the tortured artist side. But I you am, have to know your story. I am many Other, things. <laughs> otherwise, you're not you're not clearly communicating. With I'm you. a variety show. Well, that that is true too. <laughs> Picture it, but. So, so here's a few factoids about when I met Dave. Siempre en domingo. Well, I should we make a Jeopardy board for the factoids of when Sean met when Sean met Dave? I can see that. Let's do a Rob Reiner movie. Uh, uh, <laughs> I would I would watch that. Um, it, it, so, Dave had a very colorful, cartoony, a um, lot of like blues and um, just yeah. Like, this was fun. He totally catfished you. He totally did. He <laughs> talked about like being a father and family and like like one of the first things i ever read from dave was farewell to the f word and how he's not going to swear around his son (laughs) hey remember the time dave said he wasn't going to swear around his son i really don't that often yeah (laughs) except uh, when you uh, yell cunt from the front seat really loudly 
<laughs> no, I said motherfucker. Uh, All right. I don't think um, I said cunt in front of him before. Um, I think you have. <laughs> I'm pretty sure. Remember. Okay. All right. Anybody it. listening now wants to dig up which episodes that, that is? Um, okay. So, <laughs> so um, you know, Dave also had a drawing of himself, um, you know, on his <laughs> header. And the drawing of himself was like this tall, skinny dude <laughs> with a giant smile. So it's so not me having like some rosy version of vision of Dave. It was how Dave was working really hard to present himself to the world. No, that's that's another side of me. I wasn't. It wasn't a lie. It wasn't You're a fiction, a skinny dude. No, where is that side of you, Dave? I, it's my inner skinny guy. <laughs> I, I do see myself as a skinny dude, like internally, yes. So. Well, okay, I like Jesus. Well, there's got to be a, there. There is technically a skinny guy in there somewhere. Yeah, I ate him. <laughs> All right, my point is. Once you're more aware of your genre, you could be a clearer job of attracting the people to you. Because here's what happened. Like, tell me if you remember this history differently than I do, because I remember this pretty clearly. It was after about, I don't know, two, and I I don't mean a, a, a big general, you know, sweeping generalization here, but definitely there was a point where you were finding you were not connecting with your average reader at that site. And so... They were just, they had kind of a, and I had the same thing because I had built writer dad to be, I never swore. And I definitely had this little neat fence around what I was doing. And you and I both found that we didn't have as much common with some of our audience as we would have liked to have. And that's because we were definitely getting a very certain particular type of reader. And so if we're more ourselves, like we didn't have that in once we put ourselves over on like the collective inkwell side and we were publishing, um, you know, live available darkness chapters and stuff like that, we started to warm up and become more of who we would be later, like with this show and with, with yesterday's gone and all the stuff we've done together since. But when we were doing the, the parallel of blogger dad and writer dad, there was a really big chasm between what we said publicly and the conversations we had privately. You guys are where, like that moment where you discover that Bob Saget is actually really dirty. Yes. <laughs> no, exactly. <laughs> that is exactly what it was. And so Johnny never had that. And Mr. Rogers. Right. <laughs> Johnny was just like loud and proud from the beginning. Like he came out and said what he wanted to say online. Yes. And, you know, had that voice. And you and I were both trying to, I mean, I had a preschool at the time. You know, you you were probably trying to um, keep a certain tone for your wife and your family and trying to get syndicated. And so if you're going to be the humor, if you're going to be the next Dave Barry, there's a certain kind of tone you have to have. But if you had had... I like quickly the, went against my own tone, though. Like Dave my, Barry my has darkest, a lot of necrophilia stuff, though. <laughs> <laughs> my darkness crept in in my, like, the, the drawings I did for the children's book. Like, Bob the fucking bear. Yeah, that's <laughs> true. Bob the fucking bear. I want to see that. <laughs> but look how discordant that was. Clifford right takes ahead. a big dump. People liked it, though. I think I did connect with a lot of my audience. I think they liked it. I think you definitely so. connected with your audience. <laughs> oh, you totally connected with your audience. But, but, but... What I'm saying is that it's easier to connect with your audience if you did like there was already a filter there. You're the dad guy who has to do this. If you if you were the tortured artist guy from the beginning who had Clifford takes a big dump, 
then it's just more resonant right away. And yeah. so like we figured that out. The first time I figured that, like I know I've told this story before, but it's it's worth telling in this context. The first time I figured out that there was this big giant difference between the way that Dave and I had seen the world. And we had been working together for a while at this point. Do you know this story? Do you know which one no. this is? Go ahead. It, it was something we we had we had started the collective Inkwell blog, which really the only point <clears throat> for that in the early days was to get us freelancing gigs, mm-hmm. uh, and you know like you, you where I, I critiqued websites. Yeah, <laughs> critiqued websites, and we My were writing thing. advice, and so it was you know it was fine, and uh, <clears throat> but th- there was a a piece of content that I wrote for the site um, called the myth of the tortured artist. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> And um, and I wrote it, and like Dave's like, I don't agree with anything in this. <laughs> and it was it was talking about how like writing should not be painful. You should sit down, get your words done, be done. It doesn't have to come from this place of misery and fucking heartache and shit. And Dave's like, Yes, it does. And I thought you were kidding with me because you were so like adamant about how painful writing is and how. And like that was the first time, and that was probably like 2010, 2009. It was a long time ago, and so um, like I realized, oh, this is a struggle for you. You're fundamentally different than me. Yes. But I, I feel like if we had some of these tools ten years ago to understand each other and to understand our world, and you know what? There's a little bit of story solution. There's a little bit of love language stuff there. Where if you've read if we that had discovered it earlier though, you might not have ever taken Johnny on as another lover. You wouldn't have stepped outside of our marriage. <laughs> that, that that's probably true. That is actually probably true. Um, so because he stopped at me, right? We, we need these. <laughs> he doesn't have anyone else he collaborates with. <laughs> Whore. <laughs> um, so uh, I, I think I think, and all of these are kind of um, related. You know, what is your genre? What is the tone of your life? What is your voice? Well, like I mean, you- the, the the point is that I think that that as an author, you get to decide these things for your character. You get to decide they're they're this they're after this thing. They have this this tone and affect. They um, what are the other things in in um, I'm not forgetting remembering some of the things with voice and stuff, but the ways that you approach things, the ways that you like you get to design those things for your characters. But we just sort of say, well, for ourselves, like it, it is what it is. We are so, who we are, whatever. Right. The whole point here is consciously like looking at yourself as if you were a character and because you get to make those decisions and orchestrate, you know, a worthy challenge and successes and stuff as you would for a character. Well, that's you're more likely up, but, yeah. to give your characters goals than you are yourself goals. Right. You're more likely to think about what is your character's superpower than you are. What is your own superpower or what is the hook of this story instead of what is the hook of your own story? What is the backstory of the character and how did it shape them? And do they have, you know, mother's voice in the back of their head when they shouldn't? They don't even realize it. Like these are the sorts of things that all of us are doing and we just don't realize it because we aren't thinking as if we would with the story. But it's all still true. If we approached our own lives and our own stories with the same amount of craftsmanship that we do, the stories that we tell our readers, we would have better lives. That's the premise of the book. And it's something that, you know, Johnny and I have very much been allegiant to, kind of always in a, in a way that wasn't defined. And in the last year, very much so. And we've been trying heartily to bring Dave along for the ride. And, you know, like, so another thing, you talk about settings, right? So settings are super important to your characters, but a lot of us just kind of live where we live. We don't really think about our setting. We don't really think about how it's shaping or affecting us. And for the last few years, 
we've been very much on Dave about how is your setting affecting you? How does it shape your day to day? How does it make you happy or less happy? Uh, Johnny I live was in very- Florida. That's all you need to know. <laughs> right. Well, and setting is... <laughs> That's my setting. I mean, my character, for want of a better term, has a whole new realm of experience because my setting changed. But setting is also the people that are around you. When you're, If you're writing a story and you want um, to bring out a certain aspect of a character, you need something on display, you'll usually give them some sort of a foil. So you'll give them um, a wisecracking sidekick who always delivers truths at the right moment. You'll give them a judgmental father-in-law or something like that. You give them somebody in whose, like in the reactions to those people in those discussions, you can see certain aspects of the character. So that's being true. That's true of you as well. You know, our setting, the people around us, the characters around us are defining us. The only difference is that they came into our lives say, I wouldn't say accidentally, it's not like circumstance, but, but casually, like without conscious thought, you know, because they were, they live next door. The difference is in real life. Okay. So in your story, you're the God, you have control. You can decide what characters belong in the story and what characters don't. And if there's somebody, if there's a character that your, your hero needs to fuck out of them. Yeah, you, you basically give them a tool set to deal with that character or to not, but you're in control. In real life, we don't always have control of the characters around us. I mean, the more successful we are, the more freedom we have. So you get to choose who's in your life or not. I mean, at this Who'd point... eliminate? Um, it, <laughs> yeah, I mean, like at this point, I've got... Well, there like, is that. Long. There is that. I mean, there is the idea of... You know, we get used to the idea that this person is one of my friends from high school and they live next door. And so they've always been in my life and always will be. But you have to ask if you were if you in a novel, you would ask whether that relationship is is useful to the story. Is it relevant? You really shouldn't have a lot in a story that isn't ultimately relevant in some way, shape or form. And if you have that with a character, I'm actually forgetting how you began this, but the, oh, excising. So you, we, I mean, I talk about that in the book is there, there are times when, you know, in in a story you might kill the characters off. Well, you can't do that. Sorry, Dave, but you can, you can choose not to have those characters in your life or to, I'm God though. (laughs) Well, so, so actually, um, this is kind of an interesting topic as well is, is theme. So, um, I actually, did a little introspection while writing to decide like what would be the theme of my life? Like what is the thing that is the core of, of what I'm about? And, and I think that if you have that, it gives you a center to keep coming back to, does this serve my ultimate theme? So I'm actually curious as to what Dave's theme might be. So to, to grease the wheels on this, mine is um, one of mine is uh, optimization or improve. No, improvement is better. I always want to improve things like that's it doesn't matter what I'm doing. I always want to get better if I'm in something that that Dave I, wants to ruin things that I can't just... improve. I'm not interested. Um, if I, I I feel like Sean, I'm, I'm guessing yours is um, I feel like it would be innovation or exploration. Does that feel right? Yeah, it does feel right. And Dave, I see some of the things I see in you are like justice. Uh, what, what are the major themes that you feel like you run up against again and again as as a person, not just a creator? I think it's exploration of myself, of my past, um, how to change the things. Well, you're really in touch with your origin story, I think. Like, you know that, you know, being bullied, growing up, having to cope with shit, that taught you to use the pain. And yes. so, right? And, and that 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 enabled you in a way. Like, how in touch are we with our origin story? How did it define us? 
And how, how much are we just accepting? Because, okay, these are the characters that have always been in my life ever since the origin story and, you know, on and on. Yeah. I think, um, like I turn to stories as escape from childhood pain and, um, I, I think for a long time I tried to understand why, um, you know, why I was alienated, why, you know, I was just different. And those things like, is it cause you were trying to show all the other children your penis all the time? No, that wasn't, <laughs> um, that was only you. <laughs> uh, no, the thing is like, wait, when you're, like where I, I I just never quite fit in where I was. Uh, the first ten years of my life, I grew up as like one of the only white kids in my neighborhood, so I stood out there. And then I moved to the suburbs where I was like just not not one of the 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 cool kids. I was very I, I was a lot like you, Sean, like super happy and optimistic. If you can believe, yeah, that. you keep telling me that it's really. <laughs> Hard to picture, but 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 I was also poor, and I was I, I I got fat, I had zits all over, so like all of that shit uh, just made me stand out, and I I basically learned to use the pain to to write stories to escape, and um, also like I, I learned to connect with people through it. Like there were people I would not talk to or, or wouldn't talk to me, I should say. Um, and when I started writing stories, like I, like I remember this one dude that sat next to me, he was a popular dude and I had absolutely nothing in common with him. He, he wasn't a bully or anything to me, but just kind of ignore me. One day he saw me writing a story and he, he asked to see what it was. And he was like, Holy shit. Like, this is awesome. And, like that moment where I connected with somebody that I had absolutely nothing in common with, but story was really cool. And then I just started writing in class every day, not doing my schoolwork, but I was writing in class <laughs> every day and I'd hand it to him and he'd show other people. And that was like a cool moment where I could connect with people in a way that removed me from the equation. So here's what's interesting to me. And a question that I would have is because, I mean, I think like, introspection as a theme to me feels like a means to an end. I, I mean, I could be wrong about that, but it feels like you're introspecting so that you can do something else. Um, but it's weird to think that it might be connection, like connecting through shared experience because you don't generally like, it's weird. We see you at this, like the, the events that we've done, you genuinely like interacting with people. You go to a small, a very room. small, like one-to-one sort of bay or one to two, like, just a few, like right. too many people overwhelming. I'm very introverted. But I wonder, does that feel like sort of a driving force is that you want to connect? You want to find commonality? Is it too grand to say that like, it's a, like a world thing? Like you'd like to see what's the commonalities I, are in the world rather than the differences we see. Honestly, if, if not to get too, I don't know. Um, I, I just want to do what books and story have always done for me in art which is to help other people escape to help other people, um, you know, see that they're, even if they are alone, it doesn't always have to be that way. That, because I think I beat myself up a lot and blame myself for so many things. I hated myself for so long. And if I could go back in time to change that, I would, but I can't. So I'm sort of doing it through my stories 
if that makes any sense. I don't know if my stories actually do this, but that's my well, that's I, my goal. Yeah, that's what I'm trying to figure out. No, I think your stories, um, your stories are definitely not for all the Lord's children. But, <laughs> but for the people who connect with, you know, the way that you write, that's why they're connecting. They are connecting through shared pain, um, you know. And I think that that's really important. And I think that you don't have to walk away from... Here's the mistake I think you've made a lot of your life. I think that you feel like that's your source of power is your pain because that's where you've drawn on before. It's this reservoir that you can tap into. And so you're able to create art by, you know, experiencing more pain. And, you know, this does go all the way back to that article, you know, about the myth of the tortured artist. I think you can create art that way, but do you have to create art that way? Absolutely not. And I think that you've, you've connected the two, you know, in your head, it's, it's almost like this may be a weird parallel, but stay with me. It's almost like a fetish, right? <laughs> like if, if, if you, if somebody I don't is, get sexual gratification from my no, but like if something is um is actually this is kind of a funny story. So the reason I really understood um uh, see if you remember the source of this. The reason I understand fetishes as well as I do is because of something you beat out for me like several years ago for a story we were doing back when we were writing a lot of porn and. <laughs> You were like, like, I don't think you wanted to be involved in this at all, but you were doing it. So you gave me beats and you had me, um, the, the character had to get with somebody who had a very particular fetish and you wrote it into the beats, cackling. Like, I remember you laughing hard and the fetish you gave me was a loony. Somebody who's like into the sound of balloons. They're very like, into Canadian uh, dollars. <laughs> <laughs> and so I'm like, what? I actually, I have to go research this because I'm not just going to write it. So I researched and, um, and I found like this really fascinating article by this guy who was, it was like a confessional about why he had this particular fetish and where it was born. And it like, I understood fetishes in a way that I hadn't before where something is like basically crystallized at some moment, you know, prepubescent where this, like, like, let's say you're at a birthday party and all the children are out there and you hear the sound, this was his story. You hear the sounds of the popping balloons while you're having like your very first sexual experience in another room. So it's, it, those two things are just linked forever or, you know. Like and me so, and having sex with cake. <laughs> I'll no, just let that. Do you see there. the moment where the? All right, there it was. That was it. Well, I. Um, I sorry, go ahead. Well, I. So I think that that Dave has always connected those two things. I was able to. It's like a cycle, you know. It's the flywheel of what he's going through. He he feels this pain. He taps into the pain. He creates art. It gives him a, a release valve. He feels better. He taps into it again. He feels more pain and it just keeps going round and round. But that's, that's, he could actually remove himself from that, draw on old pain. He doesn't have to live in it. He doesn't have to sit in it. He does, he can draw on it. But I think, um, you know, I, I mean, as working in a studio full of productive, um, artists who have like a spectrum of how happy or unhappy he they are. He doesn't know that we work with other artists. <laughs> Wait, there's other <laughs> people? True. Okay. All right. Let me rephrase that. You've worked with me for 10 years, right? Uh, uh, do you know a lot of people who are more buoyant than me? Uh, yeah, you, you and Johnny have provided uh, most of my inner motivation that I have um, the past few years or most recently the, the, the past year. Uh, 
And there is a part of me that is very much into optimization and all that. Like I listen to a lot of podcasts that, you know, Johnny probably listens to or would listen to. Um, Do they star Johnny? Because I think those are the only ones he listens to. (laughs) (laughs) So, uh, yeah, I'm very much about uh, like improving myself, although I know that doesn't sound like me at all. but yeah, you guys have provided great examples of, you know, doing the work and getting the work done and getting out of your mind. And I think that's the hardest part. For yeah, it's it's interesting, though, because you you do that. You'll you'll turn in a draft where you're it's obvious that you had more fun with it and the the story is better. And then one where you're just kind of miserable. It's not. But in your head, the one where it was miserable almost feels like it's more deserving or something like you paid the price for the well, art for me, the longer a story is or the more complicated, or if it's like the end of a series or something, it, it does become like just the fucking battle. Um, short stories though, like that's my sweet spot. I wish they sold better because I could do that all day, every day. And they'd be like whimsical. <laughs> right. And do you remember the last, the last meeting we had just a couple of days ago, that was exactly it. You're mapping out this big thing. And I'm like, no, that's for <laughs> me to write. I'm going to give you a novella because <laughs> I, I want to keep things small right now because I want you to feel that cascade of success because that just makes it easier to do stuff. Well, the idea is that once you have some of these defining initial things, the, the genre therapy idea, the, um, uh, considering theme or the voice or what, what are the, what's like, the, know what's what your setting? plot points in life are. Well, like, that's right? the, that's exactly where I was going to go is once you have that, then you have a character who has a motivation who probably has an antagonist of some, I mean, we all have an antagonist. Sometimes it's just like life, life. right? It just gets in your way. <laughs> you know, Dave had a bunch of literal antagonists, but then if you see that as like, if this were a story, it's, it's like a retroactive conditioning, right? So like if, if Dave were the character of a story and the story was at the, um, you know, midpoint or whatever, like everything at the beginning was like, that was your origin story. That was, there was an arc there and, and it set you up to be the person that you're going to be. You had antagonists who shaped you in a certain way. And so this is where I think it gets kind of interesting is saying like, what was, because I think that we all have ups and downs and when we're in the middle of them, then they feel like ups or they feel like downs, which may sound like very, well, duh. But if you're in a, if you're in a down, if you're in like a bad place, it can feel like, wow, I fucked up. I failed. Like life's over. I screwed something up. But those twists always happen in stories. And there's, you know, usually a reversal where everything changes right at about the halfway point. There's a point where, where you face, where the character faces a challenge and then has to make a decision to go on a journey and then has to have a moment of courage. So being able to see those things relative to the stuff that we were just talking about. So like in Dave's case, like, do you, do you have, like, can you imagine like what, what, what would, what would the journey be that you went on? Do you remember kind of when you went on it? When was, do you, do you have an act one turning point that you remember? Uh, like a moment, like a, well, an inciting incident. So something where you're like, okay, fuck this. I'm doing X. And yeah. then the moment where you're like, okay, I'm, I'm doing it a whole hog bitches. Like I'm in this, I'm on going on the journey. Uh, I think, I think a year ago or, or a year and a half or whatever, our, our, our meeting. So, mm-hmm. but, That's actually so, great. So that, that, okay. So basically 
when, when I was younger, my best friend growing up was a guy named Todd. And he, we grew up in high school. He went off, uh, joined the Navy. And he came back to visit me. And, and he was like one of the only people that believed in me as a writer and shit. So um, he's always trying to like, you know, get me to get off my ass and do shit and move to Virginia with them and, you know, live like we're supposed to live, like we plan to live and all that shit. So in 96, um, he came to visit me in February and he'd changed in a lot of ways. Like when, when I first met him, he's like this geeky sort of quiet kid and, um, Really an obnoxious asshole too, though. <laughs> uh, but 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 we got along, and like he changed, and he became like very um, almost like all alpha and shit, like completely aggro. Yeah. Aggro. <laughs> uh, well, well, in a, in a bit, but but he was still, you know, we still got along. But the last time I saw him, he was like really getting on my ass about you know you were fucking throwing your life away, and I really did not take it well because I was taking it like. Who the fuck are you? <laughs> like, no. So the last time I saw him, we got in this like huge argument because he was trying to get me to get the fuck out of Florida. And I'm like, no, I have my reasons and all this. And so when he left, I was just like, all right. And I just let him go. Like, I didn't say goodbye. I was just so pissed at him and I let him walk down the stairs and leave and didn't say goodbye to him, which is this not. You didn't shove him. Right, yeah, just throw him <laughs> up the stairs. So he left, and I figure, you know, eventually everything will be cool because, you know, we, we've had a few arguments in the past, and whatever, whenever we saw each other, it was just like, you know, old friends reuniting, and everything was cool. Reunited, so, and it feels exactly. so I was going to do that. <laughs> record. So on April 2nd, I get a phone call from somebody I didn't know who it was. And I was like, who's it? It's like, yeah, I'm, I'm Todd him. He's dead. So I was like, fuck. So that moment was like my worst moment. And I mean, obviously it was his worst moment. He died. <laughs> so his worst moment was worse than mine. Uh, but like, I just felt my whole world go away. And I had a lot of self-hate and self-blame for you know, how things ended with him. And I just felt awful. So flash forward to last year at our dinner that we all had together. And Sean was basically saying a lot of the same things. Todd was saying like, you're fucking wasting your life away, blah, blah, blah. And <laughs> exactly. He did say blah, blah, blah. So, so Sean's basically saying, dude, I'm watching you waste away. I don't fucking like it. You know, you know, if you want, if you want to go down that road, you go down that road. But I'm not going to go with you. And it, it felt very much like that moment with Todd. I was like, "All right." So I had a lot to think about, and I drove home, and I was thinking about all this shit that I wasn't doing uh, where I needed to be, and that was like, I, I just didn't want to see that repeat itself. What's because Sean would die, <laughs> obviously. <laughs> well, what's interesting about that is that um, we. What is the, is that an Alfred Hitchcock quote that says drama is life with the boring bits cut out or something like that? I think, I think that is Hitchcock. Yeah, yeah. I think it's Hitchcock. So the idea is that, you know, we all, 
if you're 40 years old, you've lived 40 years of life. That's a lot of activities. It's not just a few key things that describe like this one little character arc. But, um, and that would be true of a 40 year old character as well, right? Like in theory, they've lived a life off of the page. But um, we're picking the pieces of, of story that we want to assemble as authors. And that's what I think a lot of this, the stuff that we were trying to describe in the story solution is you, it's as much about eliminating what's not the story. And I don't mean literally, but, but at least, you know, turning aside from it and focusing on the stuff that is the story of, of you as the character. So in Dave's example, like, I feel like the, the Todd story, that's, that's backstory. And the, um, this, this, this dinner would have been, um, either the inciting incident or the end of act one or, or both, at which point Dave begins to go on a journey and he's on it right now. Right. Cause you have to refuse the call the first time, no matter what. Well, and you would also want, you would, I mean, it actually is, I mean, it, it has a tragic start. It's not like, you know, you would want that to happen, but it almost is perfect in its way because like, it's like, oh, oh wait a minute, died, right? you had, you had two parallel things and they said the same thing. You refuse the call the first time. Like, that's the sort of thing in a story. You'd be like, it is oh, a sure. story. Right, right. You, it's, it sounds very written. So he's got the mentor character that's trying to like, even though they're peers, he's still serving the mentor role. Hey, come here. You got to live it, live life, go to adventure, come with me to Alderaan. And Dave's like, I don't want to go to Alderaan. Right. <laughs> and then so, <laughs> that's what happens. There's Maybe if it was Alderaan, I would have gone, but it was Virginia Beach. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, that, that, that is the case. And then he got to another midway point. So if we're seeing that, then, you know, we should have a little more difficulty, which would make sense. And then some big breakthrough in climax, which is Dave's big hit, which we'll have in the next couple of years. And then, you know, whatever happens after that. But Although I, I, you really shouldn't space those events out 20 fucking years. <laughs> no, no, you shouldn't. But, but, but that is, that is it. So Donnie and I did something that I still, it's one of my favorite things that we did. It's so ridiculous, but it's in the Unicorn Western series. And we had, um, we, we had a, uh, character had to jump forward a bunch of years and just to show that it'd been a long time she's like look how big my beard is <laughs> right because in a movie all this time has passed and so like that's what happened with you all this time passed and you do very much with that time not nearly as much as you could and that was part of what i really wanted to impress upon you during that dinner is like dude 10 years ago you had all these dreams 10 years ago you were hungry and like you were going to do all of this and now you're just like you've given up and I don't get it. And having you hungry feeds me in a weird way. Having Johnny hungry feeds me. Like I want the people around me to to be hungry and excited and, and all of that. So seeing you a little more lit up, it allows you, um, it makes my story better. It makes Johnny's story better. It makes your story better. But you actually have these movable plot points that you can give more, um, I don't know, more consideration to and do a better job with your own story well, and, and, and i and, and i think uh you know a lot of what really helped me is that you got i think i do get lost in my own story i get lost in the bad shit that happened because that defines so much of my life and it, it is a story i was telling myself and you guys by example and by the things you say you have shown me that there's another story happening that I'm not aware of that I need, that I can write myself. I can write my own ending and I just need to fucking pick up the pen and do it. 
Well, yeah, the, that could be a tagline for story solution right there. You write a different ending, write a better ending. Yeah, I mean the the um the the events in a story always have to have purpose and enough that people will say, "Oh, well, it wasn't that convenient," right? Like there needs to be purpose in this. And so the the point is again, I just keep thinking of like retcon, retcon right? Like going back and rewriting the the meaning, reframing the meaning of things that may have already occurred or that that are going to occur um is you know, what, what would be, what would be the meaning that you could apply to this? So like I have my origin story with the, the, you know, the, I was in a lab counting fruit flies and I realized I I was having panic attacks and I couldn't do it anymore. And then I had to make the decision to take a leap and go, uh, go off of that path that I'd been on that academic path. You should have gotten bitten by a radioactive fruit fly. Then it would have been really, really cool. Then I could have had a true origin story. (laughs) But the thing is at the time that was just like terrible. It was just not fun and it, it felt like everything was falling apart. And only with this lens, I don't know if I could have done this at the time, but looking back, I go, oh, okay, that was necessary. That was something that I can give meaning to if, if I want to give meaning to it. And that's the, I think that's the choice that we make. We either just say that these things happened and they either went this way or they didn't, or you can say that, no, that's purpose and it's driving toward this conclusion. So I'm going to make my actions in the moment and make my decisions today reflective of like what I would do in a story if I were choosing for that character. Uh, okay. Well that just kind of ended. It's convenient. <laughs> so, well, the point is um, this was a really interesting book to write. It felt like it was the right book for me at the time. And I think that it's for anybody who just kind of, you know, what's it all about? Like those sorts of questions or for writers. I actually think it is a really good book for writers because you'll see that there's another way to look at story as well, although it wasn't written primarily for writers. It's sort of for everybody. Um, and it's uh, uh, going on sale in a few days or you're probably on for you guys that are on the feed. So sterlingandstone.net slash story solution. You can check it out. Um, anything to add? Any final final thoughts? Anything at all? No, other than I, I want to read it again. I haven't read it since I was done with the edit, but I kind of feel like reading it now. Yeah, I kind of want to listen to the audiobook, but there isn't one. So when we have an audiobook, <laughs> I, w- I want to listen to it. <laughs> I will also listen to it. <laughs> All right. You can read it if you want. It's already. Oh, okay. So sterlingandstone.net slash story solution. And um, thank you all for a bunch of new people joined us live today. Um, Not a lot of uh, interactivity, which is fine. Um, We're sort of learning this as we go, but um, it's nice to see you guys out there and to know that you're here. And um, and that's great. So, uh, and actually, if you want to get reminders of the live show, you can go to sterlingandstone.net slash live show and get on that list. So I guess we'll see you next time. And thanks, everybody. I should get Adios. on that list so you can remind me when we're doing a show. There you go. That's a that's a really good idea. <laughs> All right. Closing uh, closing point for that. And uh bye everybody and see you next time.